The mind of God is a term that Christians use to mean the reasons why God does something. It is also the title of a book by Dr. Paul Davies, professor of mathematical physics at the University of Adelaide in South Australia. It is also the concluding phrase in physicist Stephen Hawking's best-selling book, A Brief History of Time, in which he says, if we find the answer to that, that is to say, why it is that we in the universe exist, it could be the ultimate triumph of human reason. For then, we would know the mind of God. The Mind of God and the Big Bang Written by Russell Grigg In the 20th century, the first version of the Big Bang as the explosion of a primeval atom was put forward by the French Abbé Georges-Henri Lemaitre in 1931. Pardon my French. Lemaitre already knew of Edwin Hubble's work on the redshift of light from distant stars, which Hubble interpreted to mean that the universe is expanding, and by extrapolating backwards in time, he postulated that the universe originated as a single particle of vast energy but near-zero radius. He argued erroneously that cosmic rays must have come from such an explosion. In 1946, one of the Manhattan Project atom bomb scientists, George Gamow, postulated that a universal explosion lasting a few seconds could have produced all the elements we see today. This lost favor after about a decade, when calculations suggested that certain elements could form in stars. In 1965, a third version of the Big Bang was put forward by Robert Dicke, P.J.E. Peebles, and others, which appeared to receive some confirmation by the accidental discovery of Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson that the universe seemed to be uniformly filled with very even heat at a temperature of about 3 Kelvin. This was interpreted as being the afterglow in the form of microwave radiation left over from a huge initial explosion. When Sir Fred Hoyle calculated that a Big Bang would produce only light elements, notably helium, deuterium, and lithium, it seemed established as the origin of the universe. In the next 20 years, thousands of papers supporting the Big Bang were produced and virtually no papers challenging it were accepted. It became inconceivable that the Big Bang theory could be wrong, and entire careers in cosmology have been built on the presupposition that the Big Bang was fact. One of the predictions of the Big Bang is that it would produce large amounts of helium, and, in fact, the galaxies contain about 24% of helium. However, calculations have shown that the detected matter in the universe is only about 1% of the amount required to produce the gravitational attraction needed to form all the galaxies and clumps of galaxies, even within the vast time span of a hypothetical 15 billion years. This problem would be solved with a stroke of a pen. In the early 1980s, cosmological theoreticians decided that the universe was now made up of nearly 99% of cold dark matter necessarily dark because no one has ever seen it or detected it, and up to 99 times the amount of the visible matter in the universe. This cold dark matter they came up with could not be composed of detectable elements like hydrogen and helium, so hypothetical particles were said to exist with names like WIMPs and axions, WIMPs standing for weakly interacting massive particles. Another problem was the very smoothness of the so-called background radiation. 
Large-scale surveys of space have shown that matter is not evenly distributed at all, but exists in the form of huge clusters of galaxies, and even larger-scale clumping including some huge structures which have been given names like the Great Wall, while there are vast empty reaches, one called the Great Void. Big Bang theorists decided that if they could find some variation or ripples in the pervasive 3 Kelvin radiation, this would be an adequate explanation of the origin of the large-scale galaxy structures. In 1989, NASA launched a space satellite named Cosmic Background Explorer to try to detect the needed tiny variations or bumps in the radiation from above Earth's atmosphere. By 1991, no variation had been detected, and the Big Bang theorists were beginning to panic. Then in April 1992, a computer program was used to analyze the data, and at last something was detected. Hot and cold spots deferring in temperature by up to about three one-hundred-thousandths of a degree Celsius. Russell Ruthen, writing in Scientific American October 1992, says, But controversy has arisen as to whether the Cosmic Background Explorer measurements have any relation at all to the structure of the universe billions of years ago. Lawrence M. Cross and Martin White of Yale University argue that the variations in the cosmic microwave background could be distortions caused by gravitational waves. And more than two decades ago, two Soviet scientists pointed out that as the background radiation passes through large clouds of intergalactic gas, the resultant change in intensity could cause these lumps. In 1965, Mathematician and physicist Roger Penrose, while considering Einstein's general theory of relativity, conjectured that a large star collapsing under its own gravity would continue to do so until all the matter was compressed into a single point of zero volume and infinite density. Such a point of infinite compression is known to mathematical physicists as a singularity, and also as a black hole. When Stephen Hawking read about this, he worked out a set of mathematical equations reversing the direction in time, so that the collapse into a black hole became instead an expansion from a black hole. In 1970, he published a joint paper with Penrose, supposedly proving that the universe had begun from a Big Bang singularity provided only that general relativity is correct, and that the universe contains as much matter as we observe. Since then, Hawking has been trying to deduce a mathematical formula to explain the electromagnetic, nuclear, and gravitational forces in the universe in one grand unifying theory, or GUT for short. Concise enough to be inscribed on a t-shirt? Recently, quantum physicists have tackled some of the many queries that the Big Bang theory evokes. For example, what happened before the Big Bang? Paul Davies replies to this. According to modern physics, the Big Bang represented the origin of space and time, as well as of matter and energy. This means that time itself came into existence with the Big Bang. Questions like, what happened before the Big Bang, or what caused the Big Bang, are therefore meaningless. There was no before. And Stephen Hawking claims that under certain conditions, the universe would have neither beginning nor end. It would simply be. With that line of reasoning, then, what place is there for a creator? And then there's the question, how did nothing become something and then explode? Paul Davies' answer is that it happened through quantum physics applied to cosmology. 
He says this quantum cosmology provides a loophole for the universe to, so to speak, spring into existence from nothing, without violating any laws of physics. This is very significant, as it shows the fallibility of theistic evolution. Theistic evolutionists often urge what is in effect retreat to a god-of-the-gaps idea. God is invoked as necessary to create the initial particle and to light the fuse as it were. Thereafter, the rest can evolve more or less by itself. However, Hawking says his new theory has no moment of creation and requires no creator. Where does this leave theistic evolutionary compromise? So this, more or less, is the current Big Bang theory. That some 15 billion years ago, at a specific moment before which there was no before, the entire cosmos created itself by suddenly evolving out of nothing by means of a quantum fluctuation, first as a particle of space and time of zero dimensions and infinite heat, which proceeded in a few trillion trillionths of a second to pass through an inflationary stage, and then through an incredibly hot Big Bang stage, followed by universal expansion and cooling into its present form. The main rationale for this particular Big Bang scenario is a set of mathematical equations deduced by human reason alone. So, what should we believe? What should Bible-believing Christians think about all this, and what should they believe? There are certain contrafacts which are indisputable, and certain principles that Christians should always use in evaluating naturalistic theories about origins. One reply to the Big Bang. First, not all scientists agree with the concept of the Big Bang. In fact, many have never supported it. There have been other non-biblical theories about the origin of the universe put forward in modern times, the main ones being the steady-state theory and the plasma theory. Suggested by Fred Hoyle, Thomas Gold, and Herman Bondi in 1948, the steady-state theory involved the continuous creation of hydrogen atoms to fill the gaps left by the expansion of the universe, to ensure that it remained in a steady state. It assumes that the universe never had a beginning. In 1993, Fred Hoyle, Professor Jeffrey Burbage of the University of California at San Diego, and one other scientist proposed a new steady-state theory in which they explained the cosmic background radiation as being caused by explosions in galaxies that create thin metallic needles which absorb radiation, and then create the impression that the universe contains heat from a Big Bang. Plasma is high-temperature ionized hydrogen gas, that is to say it's comprised of free electrons and protons. The sun and most stars are giant spheres of plasma, and the aurora borealis is due to plasma. The plasma theory of the universe has been promoted by two scientists for many years, but it took a quantum leap forward in 1991 with the publication of Eric Lerner's 466-page book titled The Big Bang Never Happened. Lerner says that trillions of years ago there was hydrogen plasma, which was brought into being by unknown evolutionary processes. This plasma had motion and energy, thus electrical currents and magnetic fields flowed through it. And from this the universe supposedly eventually formed. These two other theories postulate virtually an infinite age for the universe, both past and future. This rather neatly does away with God both as creator at one end and as judge at the other, and thus has some rather obvious advantages for atheists. Second, let's consider that the Big Bang scenario involves tremendous, even infinite energy at the beginning, 
but supplies no explanation for the source of this energy. Nor is it clear how the gravity of the initial universe black hole can be overcome by a quantum fluctuation. Jargon like this seems to be part of an expanding vocabulary of Big Bang speak, masking some formidable, if not insuperable, difficulties. There is also no convincing explanation as to why an outward spray of gas radiating from the Big Bang should form galaxies, stars, and planets. And third, the evidence propounded for the Big Bang consists of just three concepts. The alleged expansion of the universe, the microwave background radiation, and the cosmic abundance of helium. However, all of these phenomena are capable of being otherwise interpreted. For example, no one has ever seen the universe expanding. Expansion is an interpretation of the redshift. And for nearly 20 years, astronomer William T. Tift at the University of Arizona has been claiming that his accurate measurements of galaxy redshifts show that the redshifts tend to fall on evenly spaced values, like rungs of a ladder, not in a smooth manner as would be expected if the universe was expanding without a center. So some astronomers are beginning to wonder what the redshifts really mean. There are other explanations for the abundance of helium in the universe. Eric Lerner happily weaves it into the plasma theory. Bible-believing Christians understand that God created it that way. And since 1921, the lithium content of 20% of old stars studied has been found to contradict Big Bang predictions. And fourthly, to believe that the known universe was once condensed into a point of zero dimensions takes an unimaginable leap of faith. In fact, much more faith than it takes to believe that God created everything in the way that he says he did in Genesis. The Big Bang is a major part of the creation myth of the Western nation's major religion, secular humanism. Fifthly, with a passage of time, the lack of proven evidence for the Big Bang has led some scientists to make such remarks as, Never has such a mighty edifice been built on such insubstantial foundations. And, you have to understand that first there is speculation, then there is wild speculation, and then there is cosmology. And sixth, in the history of evolutionary theory, from Charles Darwin to the present day, when there has been a conflict between theory and the facts, it is the facts that have been discarded rather than the theory. Thus, in 1993, the head of astrophysics at the University of Oxford said, In my view, cosmologists should not be too disturbed about small discrepancies between theory and observation. Any attempt to explain cosmic structure involves extrapolating from the Planck era, 10 seconds after the Big Bang, when strange effects like quantum gravity were important to the present universe which is about 10 billion years old. So it is no surprise that one or two things don't seem to fit. And seventh, did God create by means of the Big Bang or provide the initial energy to kick off the Big Bang? No! It contradicts the biblical cosmogony. The order of events is different, for example. This theory claims that the sun existed long before the earth, whereas Genesis says that the earth was created before the sun. And furthermore, the time frame is quite different. Also, we have seen that Hawking, Davies, and the others would repudiate any such threat to the self-creating power of their evolutionary universe. It is sad indeed that theistic evolutionists, including some who would deny such a title, are urging Christians to say yes. 
Now, any theory that dispenses with the true God is itself not true and will not stand the test of time. First, when non-Christian scientists speak or write of God, they do not usually mean the God of the Bible, unless they are ridiculing what the Bible says. Otherwise, they may mean something like the foundation for existence, a deeper level of explanation, or something equally vague or esoteric. For Stephen Hawking, God appears to be a complete theory of the universe that breathes fire into the equations. Second, any theory that dispenses with the true God is itself not true and will not stand the test of time. Thirdly, although Hawking and Davies say that what happened before the Big Bang is a non-question, Christians understand that God always existed before he created the universe, and he always was and still is now transcendent to this universe, because he inhabits eternity. Read Isaiah 57.15. Christians are able to experience immediate spiritual contact now through prayer with this transcendent holy God. Now let's look at the issue of the theories of origins and the Bible together. First, any theory of origins that is contrary to the early chapters of Genesis, Exodus 20.11, and Exodus 31.17, and the many other references in the Bible that ascribe creation to the work of God, is not true and will not stand the test of time, no matter how well it is promoted by humanistic educational institutions. Second, in taking the above attitude, are Christians in danger of repeating the error of the 17th century church when it opposed Galileo for suggesting a heliocentric, that is, sun-centered, mechanism for our planetary system? In answer, no. Although the church leaders in Galileo's day mistakenly thought that the Bible supported the Greek idea of a geocentric, a earth-centered system, there was nothing intrinsically anti-creator about Galileo's idea that the earth moved. By contrast, the Big Bang and all other theories of origins that are based on human philosophies attempt to say how the universe made itself by its own processes and properties, and with no supernatural input. Christians do not need Hawking's elusive, grand unified theory of the universe to know the mind of God or to know who they are, why they exist, and where they are going. We already have access to the mind of God in the Bible. This tells us that through repentance and faith in the atoning work of Christ on the cross, we become children of God, that we are here to worship and serve the living God, and that one day we who love God and have received His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will go to live with Him forever. In fact, the grand unified theory and the theory of everything is the Bible. As matters stand at present, there is no better astronomic theory for the origin of the universe than the inspired explanation of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Psalm 33, 6 and 9. And lastly, John chapter 1, verse 3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So listeners, if you want to be confident that the Big Bang didn't happen, then get a copy of The Great Read Dismantling the Big Bang. 
This book reveals the scientific and philosophical weaknesses at the core of Big Bang thinking and the contradictions to which they lead. Written on a level that lay people can understand, it shows the intellectual superiority of the history of the universe given in the Bible as the basis for our thinking about the cosmos. You will rediscover how to think about the universe in the only way that makes sense, from God's perspective, in the light of the history given in His Word. It would make a great gift for an avid reader too. So consider dismantling the Big Bang while you're shopping for a friend. You will find this book and others on every creation topic imaginable in the store at creation.com. I am Joseph Darnell, and as always from the writers at creation.com. Thanks for listening.